You can open up your Bibles to 1 Peter. And here at Hope, we're doing a teaching series right now at the start of the new year from the book of 1 Peter. We're not going you know, every verse of the book, but we're looking at certain chunks of the book and certain themes in the book. And I want to handle today's talk a little bit differently, um, rather than just a typical lectury type sermon. In just a couple of minutes, I want to bring up a, a friend and an incredibly special young woman to join me so I can interview her and talk about a, a, a situation that's recently happened in her life. She has had a, a horribly painful accident occur in her story, and incredible good has come from it. And there's been an incredible evidence of God working in the middle of, a, of an unexpected and a terrible um, situation. And it has actually strengthened her. It's strengthened her family. And it's actually produced some, some pretty incredible good in their story. And, and so for the purpose of our podcast, because we have to give a little title to all of our talks, this interview, uh, which is the message today, is going to be called Christ and Calamity. And that's essentially the whole backdrop for the book of First Peter. Let me just give you the historical backdrop, and then I'll bring Brooke up to join me here. The book of First Peter was written to Christians who were beginning to experience the, the severe hatred and persecution that occurred during the reign of the Roman emperor Nero. Um, Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter about 30-ish years after the time of Christ. So it was very early on. If, you, if you're 50-ish, if you're you can remember 30 years back pretty easy. And it didn't seem like all that long ago. So that's, that's the time frame of when this little book was written. Paul, the apostle, had founded a group of churches. He pioneered them, planted them, and then Peter wrote 1 Peter to strengthen those churches. So Peter was writing to strengthen the churches that Paul had founded and established, and he wrote it at a time in their cultural moment when intentional and institutional persecution of Christians was skyrocketing. Up to this point, there had been little pockets of persecution and little pockets of of um, uh, you know, uh, resistance and hatred toward Christians, but this was the moment when it became um, empire-wide. Christians, with their belief in one Lord, and that one Lord was not the Caesar, their worship of one Lord was viewed by Rome as a threat to the empire. To say that there's only one Lord and it's not Caesar, that was a crime. And so it had to be stopped and it had to be punished. And so it's pretty crazy. The church was, was, was a baby, barely 30 years old, and it was already being targeted for extinction. Um, it's commonly believed, and we can't prove this historically, but it's commonly believed that Nero was behind the burning of the city of Rome. You remember that from things you were taught and things you've read. We think he did. He probably did, but we can't prove it. We do know that he blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians. And Christians were killed in mass. They were, they were brought into the arenas. Some of them were crucified. Some were burned at the stake. Some were killed by gladiators. A lot of them were dressed up in sheepskins. And they put goat skins or sheepskins and put them in there as if they were sheep. And then they let wild animals in. It was, it was horrific. Um, the, the, the early Christians felt like it was the end of the world. In fact, let me read to you. In 1 Peter 4, verse 12, 
Peter said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. For these first century Christians in the 60s-ish AD, this fiery ordeal was literal. The Roman emperor Nero would burn Christians at the stake to illuminate his garden parties. Can you imagine that? How do you kick back and enjoy a barbecue and enjoy a time and sharing and, and, and friendship when people are literally being executed to illuminate the party? It's like, it's unthinkable. It's kind of like, how do you drink fine wine and listen to classical music while tens of thousands of Jews are being taken off to extermination camps? Interestingly, they say that right now there's about 250,000 survivors of the Holocaust that are still living. And these are children, but they experienced it as little tiny children. The average age is 84 years old. So historians are rushing right now to get the stories of these remnant survivors of the Holocaust because in just a handful of years, there will be no more survivors living still. But it was a similar moment. And... Um, this letter was probably written from Rome, and there's a tradition that's really interesting that was passed along in the early church, that during this time, Peter was urged by friends to flee the city. The persecution got so intense. In fact, the apostle Paul was beheaded under the reign of Nero. So some people think that Peter wrote this letter in response to Paul's martyrdom. But Peter was being urged to flee the city, not because he was a, a coward, but his friends wanted him to stay alive. Like, Peter, we need you to stay alive, so we need you to leave. So he was leaving the city, and he saw a vision of Jesus. And Jesus was walking toward the city. And Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And the Lord said to Peter in this vision, I am going back to the city to be crucified again. And Peter, in that moment, turned around, went back to the city, and that's where he was executed. He was crucified upside down and martyred for his faith in Jesus. Um, some of the opening verses of this book, in fact, these are the verses that Lana preached on last week, and she unpacked these verses for us, but they give us the backdrop of what was happening when 1 Peter was written. In 1 Peter 1.6, it says, Now for a little while... You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, when Christ is brought into our calamity, gold is produced. It's a good preaching message. It's not a good message to live. But how many of you have ever lived through some form of calamity? How many of you ever had an accident or a bend in the road that you didn't anticipate or a change to your story that you weren't expecting? If Christ comes into our moment of calamity, incredible things can happen. And so I'm super excited. Rather than me just preaching those verses and talking about that more, I'm super excited to have a conversation today that will illustrate this idea of how God does that. So, Brooke J.O., would you be willing to come up here and join me? Can you make the big leap up onto the stage? Or Okay. 
How many of you know Brooke? Do any of you know Brooke? Okay, a handful of you know Brooke. How many of you know her mother, Nikki Berry? <laughs> okay, and whether you know Brooke personally or you, you um, uh, know Nikki, a lot of you were praying for her, whether you knew this was the girl or you're a young woman, but are you a young woman? I could be a girl. <laughs> Did you say big girl? Yeah. Okay, good. The, the, this is the young woman that many of us prayed for. Um, last October, and we'll tell the story in a second, but last October, she had a severe horseback riding accident that was near fatal, in fact, quite possibly a near-death experience, and um, you shouldn't have lived uh, from that moment. And again, we'll get into that story in just a second, but I'm so glad that you're here. So Brooke is visiting from Texas. You're, did you follow to Texas because of your sister? or? Okay, so who else are you stealing away to Texas? Yeah, I'm still working on this one. <laughs> so how long have we been connected? Was... Um, so my family um, started attending Grace when my sister and my brother and I were in high school, so in the 90s. Okay. Um, and um, I feel like um, when I... My husband and I, we live about an hour from here, but we'd always be here on the weekends for family get-togethers, and we were, we'd often spend the night and then show up on <laughs> Sunday yeah. mornings, and there were um, a lot of women's retreats that my mom and sister and I, um, I really enjoyed, and I got to meet a, a lot of wonderful people here. That's awesome. Yeah. I knew it was a while, and I love your family. So I met, uh, I met Nikki and Bree. Uh, right when we moved to California, so 16 years ago, and then I got to officiate Bree's wedding, which was super special. In fact, last night, I was dropping off our grandson, and I listened to one of the songs that was played and was thinking of those memories. Um, and then, yeah, and I've always loved you and your husband, Jesse, and the kids, and I didn't know you as well because of the distance, but... Um, uh, before we get into the story, just do you want to tell us about your family? I have a picture that we'll, we'll put up on the screen. Do you want to tell us about anything about them or your kids and yeah. the, blue, the blue t-shirt you're wearing? Oh, yes. <laughs> sure. Um, so um, Jesse and I, um, when we were in California, we were blessed with two beautiful children, Taylor um, and Logan. And in 2016, we decided to move to Texas. So we had several horses and we just really wanted to buy land. And um, so we made that big move there. And then in 2018, we were unexpectedly blessed with a third child, Harper. Um, How did that happen? Ah, well, hmm. <laughs> God's plan. <laughs> um, and that picture is actually um, from this past July, um, it was my baptism. I decided um, I wanted to be baptized. I, as a baby, I know I um, was baptized, but this was, this was a new baptism. That's yeah. awesome. Who's yeah. the guy on the right? So uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> that my daughter Taylor um, and her husband Chase, they actually got married on November fourth of 2022, and so yep, our family's awesome. growing. Well, I'm glad you made it to Texas. I remember thinking it was a little strange. Your husband, he shooed horses, right? Yes. So he, this is probably like close to his 25th year as okay. a horseshoer. Um, and we, um, it, I was a stay-at-home mom um, for 10 years. And the wanting to move to Texas, um, that 
actually um, what helped was me going back to school and finishing my degree, which I got in English, and I became an English teacher, and that also helped us to be able to make that move. And um, actually, last year was my um, tenth year of teaching, and um, yes, and Jesse is still shoeing horses. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a hard job. So we have, we have a picture of you on. Moose, which is not a moose, yes, but um, so have you always been passionate about horses? And yes, I have. Um, since I was eight years old, um, I met my best friend in second grade, and she shared her pony with me. And then she um, grew out of her pony, and so did I. And she shared her mom's horse with me. And um, when I was sixteen, I think my parents um, finally figured out that I'm sticking with it, and so they bought me my first horse. Wow. Um, but yes, I, so, I love it. So how much this this picture was pre-accident? We'll yes. show you. We'll show you a picture because she's still riding horses after almost dying on this exact yes. horse. But <laughs> but this is pre-accident. How much would a horse like that weigh? Do you have any um, idea? About 1,200 pounds. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was reading a fitness magazine once, and it was talking about the 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 fitness level and dexterity of a jockey, so a horse racer. They said to, to perch in a saddle and balance like a jockey would be like, like squatting and perching on the front of a semi-truck, holding your balance while going 70 kilometers per hour. It's insane. So I know you love horseback riding, but tell us what happened on, in October of 2022. And this is where a lot of you will remember the story because in, in different groups in our church, a lot of us were praying for Brooke. Yeah. Um, so my neighbor um, and I, we went on a ride that morning, and Moose just, for some reason, got startled by something. He quickly backed up into the street, and he decided to just turn. And when he did, his back end slipped in the road, and he just kind of flipped over really hard. Um, he fell, and with, with his weight and me on him, it slammed uh, my head into the road. And so it fractured the base of my skull, and that fracture went all the way up the right side and then across the eye and then through the temporal bone. And um, when the paramedics arrived, I had just regained consciousness, but I was extremely combative. And they, um, they realized I had a brain injury. They sedated me and intubated me, and they, they called in a helicopter. And so. I was airlifted to a trauma one hospital in Fort Worth. And um, the, the neurosurgeon um, prepared my family for the fact that um, I had several brain bleeds. Um, yes, where I had hit my head, but also where my brain just kind of bounced off this part of the skull and a lot of bruises um, on the brain and the, my brain was swelling. Um, and so they, they, I fell into a coma. They had prepared them for um, if I woke up, um, I, it's possible that I, I won't be the same either. Yeah, from the injury. Let's go to the next picture, which I think is the picture of her in the, uh. <laughs> uh, I asked for a, I, I wanted to see a really gory picture because she, I mean, you're, you're sharing good details, but like I remember, I mean, there was like, was it spinal fluid or? Whatever there, I mean, this was this was she she should not have lived. I mean, you look very beautiful. You look very. Oh, thank you. You've healed very wonderfully, but but so I was hoping for like a really beat up picture. And look what she sent. <laughs> she sent this the most adorable. <laughs> but but this must have been a little bit into the recovery. But um, 
Yeah. What, did, what do you remember about that experience? Because I think you told me that you actually, there's big chunks you don't even recall. Yes, actually, I don't remember anything about oh. the injury. And I don't remember even anything um, that day leading up to the, the injury. Um, I understand that I did wake up on the third day. Um, and I was extremely confused and um, agitated very easily, worried about everything. Um, I had vision problems. I saw things like upside down um, or double vision. I couldn't even stand up without help. And I um, was in severe pain in my head. And I, I do know that I, um, I would tell my family a lot that I should have died. I should have died. Um, and I then slipped into another coma for three dark days. And when I woke up the second time, um, everything was different. Hmm. And I knew it. I was different. And I, I do know that, um, to me, that was day one. But actually, it was the ninth day after wow. the injury. So that's where my memory <laughs> um, works. And I actually see that completely as a blessing from God. Um, I know this is extremely traumatic for my family, but I just don't remember any of it. And I appreciate God's blessing that I, I don't have to remember those, those days. Because when I woke up, it was very different. And I, was, um, I just had a sense that, that God was with me. And I knew he was with me. And then every doctor and therapist and nurse that walked in, I let them know. And I told them that, that God is with me. So... So wasn't your daughter getting married, or I can't remember when, but she, right before or while you were in the hospital, I know that's something that you were really, your mom was really thoughtful about, and yes. we have a picture of the wedding, but do you want to oh, tell yeah. us the background of, the, of that? Yeah, so the injury actually happened two weeks before Taylor and Chase's okay. wedding, mm -hmm. and that um, was a miracle, too. Um, well, that I got to be there. Um, it did not seem um, possible at all. Um, and when I woke up um, on the third day, when I, that I don't remember, I was um, worrying a lot and, and saying, I, I can't miss this wedding. And it was, it was just agitate me a lot. But on the ninth day when I woke up, um, the wedding was just days away. And I, and I knew it. And I just knew God had it, um, whatever his plan was. That was his plan, and um, I trusted it. And so I do know that there are so many people praying for me to survive. And then there are so many people praying for me to be able to be at my daughter's wedding. And um, in fact, the day before the wedding, um, my sister had an urge to get the family together and get down on their knees. And so they were going to, I, we had family coming in um, for the wedding, um, like flying in. and. So at that time, my daughter, Taylor, she actually stopped by Bree's house to pick something up just right at that moment and so joined in that they were getting down on their knees and praying and, and um, asking God um, for me to be there. And um, Taylor then had to leave, and she shares this um, with, with, she shares it in her whole friend group and even beyond that, that um, she was driving to an appointment and all of a sudden just a sense of peace came over her. That she knew whether I was going to be able to be at that wedding tomorrow or not, she knew God was here and he was with her. And then um, right then, 
her dad calls her and Jesse tells her the hospital has released your mom. She's going to be at the wedding. It's amazing. Wow. <laughs> a miracle. Wow. In the picture, it looks like there's some paralysis mm -hmm. happening. Was that, do you want any comments on that? Did you, yeah. You, and then tell us too, you mentioned your little girl. Ah, uh, yes, that's a yes. Sweet, that's a sweet story. <laughs> yeah, so Harper, um, so she, she just turned, uh, well, actually, she was three at the time, about to turn four. Um, and when on that ninth day, when I woke up and um, I was just at a very different, like all of a sudden seeming to recover um, in just a miraculous way, she was allowed to come in to see me. Um, I was no longer in the ICU, I was in the neurological wing, but my sister had wanted to give her a heads up that mommy's going to look a little different and um, because my face was paralyzed. Um, the reason it was paralyzed be is because from the hit, it actually broke what's called osteocular chain. It's those bones in your middle ear. And one of them had punctured my eardrum. And so I, I was also deaf in that ear. And then another one, it, it fell, it broke off and it fell onto the seventh cranial nerve. Um, wow. And it had adhered to that nerve. And so that's, that's why the paralysis was there. Um, and, and, but Harper, she, she's, was not bothered at all. By the way, I like that did not bother her. And in fact, whenever we take pictures, she would like do this half smile like I could do. And she would say, it's our crooked smiles, mommy. And yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and aside from the, um, the deafness, my, my right eye was blurry. I, I couldn't really see out of that eye. Um, and I had a lot of vestibular problems. So a lot of dizziness and vertigo. Um, and there were, um, there were cognitive deficits, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not saying that word right, deficits there, um, communication um, um, difficulties even, and just kind of having to relearn a lot. Um, my brain was, was yeah. just really having to work hard to, to figure things out. <laughs> So when I first approached you about wanting to do this, um, you had mentioned, and your mom said it too, that you're willing to talk about the injury, you're willing to talk about all of that, but really your preference was to talk about God in the story. And so I, I really don't want to give all the details. I'd rather talk about what God has done. You've already started that, but do you want to share any more of, of where God was in the moment and then maybe since then in your family? And, and um... Yeah, absolutely. Um, God has been in every single step of this process. Um, so many people were praying, and um, it's just humbling to, um, to know so many people were praying because there were people who didn't even know me who were, were reaching out to God, and they didn't know me. They knew God, and they were asking him. And um, so many people just had like just personal um, things happening to them where they could see God's hand um, in this. And um, even doctors who um, would come in um, to see me, they would tell my, my family members that they were believers and they knew that, that God um, was taking care of me. And not because my family even asked them. They would just, just say this. And in fact, the, the surgeon who did my ear surgery, um, he, he asked um, if he could pray. Um, be, in preparation for the surgery, and he, he he prayed, asking for that God would guide his hands. And um, it's just it's really um, amazing. Even there's so many miracles throughout. Even the the neurosurgeon, um, she said in her 20 years 
um, as a neurosurgeon. She had never seen an injury this severe that wasn't accompanied by a spinal injury. But um, by the grace of God, nothing in my spine or back, you know, my neck or back were in, was injured. Um, and also just God's timing in all of this has been um, so amazing and also such a lesson to me. Um, when the hospital was saying they were not going to be able to release me for the wedding was because they were insistent that I could not be dismissed from the hospital. I had to go to an inpatient neurorehabilitation. And um, they were dealing with my insurance on this, which um, was a battle in of itself. And then the hospital decided, they, they understood my support system. No one, um, I was never alone in the hospital, um, one, because God was there, but also not a single family member um, wasn't there. There at least was someone there all the time, and they realized I had a support system that would take care of me, that would help get resources for my recovery, and would follow their many rules of things like I'm not allowed to walk upstairs, and I can't be alone, and, um, and so they did release me, not only releasing me out of their care, they actually um, released me still being responsible for my care. So, yeah, and but letting me go and knowing that if something happened and insurance wasn't going to cover it, they would take responsibility for my care for letting me go. Wow. I, I love that phrase. I'm going to re-preach it, and, and I'll sound brilliant when I do. Um, <laughs> when you said that they, they, they didn't know me, but they knew God. Yeah. And so they spoke to God on mm -hmm. behalf of me. That's, that's a powerful statement. One of the weird things about being a pastor is the officiating memorial services is, is a strange perk to being in church ministry. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've officiated two memorial services, and then Don and I attended one yesterday. There's something about those settings that just reorient your life. They bring you back in touch with what's most important, and we didn't have to do a memorial service for you, and you've made it, but this kind of an experience changes a person. So if, can you summarize a couple key takeaways? How, how has this changed you, and what will be different about your future? Sure. Um, so the newness that I woke up with, um, it's for God's glory, and I do, it, it took a really long time actually to, to gain awareness or insight even into the deficits. Um, it took about seven months and all of a sudden I started realizing something happened to my brain. Now everyone else knew, <laughs> but it took me a long time. And um, I start, the reason I, I started gaining awareness is I started remembering who I was and how I thought before and how I felt about things and what I did and all of a sudden realized I'm so different now. I've changed so much. Um, and it was, it was a challenge for sure. I used to be very much a, um, the kind of person who um, was very comfortable knowing I could control everything in my life. And um, I absolutely tried to control everything in my life. And what I have learned through this is um, when I was recovering, well, I'm still in recovery, but when I, the very first um, steps of recovery, I had control over absolutely nothing. And I just had to turn to God and trust God. And that lesson that, um, that he taught me has um, made me feel like this change in me, though, the one might, you know, the, the change where the neurosurgeon said she may never be the same, she may be a different person 
see this as it's a newness that um, was part of God's plan, and it is for his glory. And I think that it is um, amazing, but also the one thing that I do um, still get to have control over is every single day I get to control my choice to trust in God and his plan and his timing. Wow, that's so good. I love it. Uh, um, are you still riding horses? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but with a little bit of a difference here. <laughs> yeah, and that's Moose just a, a few months after the, the injury. So I did still okay. get to work with them. But I stayed off for a while for um, just to make sure like my body was uh, um, in a, a better place to be back in the saddle. But now back in the saddle, um, I don't even sit on a horse without a helmet on my head. <laughs> Um, and I think that that would be something that I, um, I like to share with other people too. Um, I think it's really important that, um, no, I don't think I should, I, I would look at this as, well, if I were only wearing a helmet, then this wouldn't happen. No, this is God, this is God's plan, but he's using it for, for his good. And so that's amazing. But part of that is, um, I think it is important to, um, when I talk to people, let me tell you why I wear a helmet now. And so that that might impact other people as well. And actually my best friend, the one who had started me with writing, um, she had come to Texas for my daughter's wedding and she also bought two matching helmets. Um, so, so she will never be on a horse without a helmet do, either. Do you, still, <clears throat> do you still love that horse? I do, yes. <laughs> I don't know if other people don't love him so much. <laughs> um, yes, you know, it was one of those things that it was just... It was just, it was a mistake. He's an animal, you know? <laughs> um, and, um, but I, I love, I do love him. Jesse bought him actually for me um, several months before the accident happened because a, a few years ago, Cowboy, my other horse, had, had died. And, um, and Cowboy was about 20 years old. Jesse had bought him for me when we were dating. And for some reason, Jesse. Um, he had a client who had this horse who was maybe going to part with him, and he, Jesse, just thought that Brooks is going to love this horse. It's just like Cowboy, and his personality is. He's very goofy, <laughs> which kind of goes into his name being Moose, too. Um, but yes, I love riding. I, th I feel like when I go ride, I just, it's like a, a just being with nature and also just feeling like um, just a passion for me. It's almost like a, a calm down or a, a almost like a therapy for me. It always has been. Well, have any of you guys here bought your wife or your girlfriend a horse? <laughs> I'm feeling like a little inferior. I should, I should, I should buy you and, but so, the, so to wrap this up, the, the reason that we're telling the story is not because this is the worst story in the world. We're telling you the story, because, first of all, because we love Brooke and her family. We love Nikki. We've been praying for her. So it's wonderful to bring this full circle. But it's also just, it's an example of how when Jesus is part of our story, even the moments that are filled with grief and detours and speed bumps or hitting a brick wall, there is still hope. And I, I know from experience that sometimes hearing a story like this, because your story, it's not, there's, there's nothing perfect or chipper about it, but, but you've had a good outcome. There are people, even now, who, who are experiencing things where that wasn't the outcome of, of your story. And so the pain that you're living through, it's not gonna have a nice little bow put on top of it, but the essence is still the same, that when Jesus is in the story, either the calamity will shift and it will become good, or 
if we have to, he'll, he'll bring good, even in the parts that, that don't seem like there could ever be good. So maybe just final words. What would you say to someone who's, who's staring in the face of, of just something unexpected? And, and you may have said something different three years ago, but what would you say today to somebody who's, who's walking through a, a challenge, a fiery trial? Um, yeah, I think I absolutely would have said something different. Um, and I've always been um, a very introverted person, very reserved, but in the way where I really, I didn't really share my faith um, with with people I didn't know. And this experience just it ignited a fire in me to share it with other people. Um, that um, God is faithful, and He is trustworthy. And it does take a, cho a choice on our part. It does. Um, but he doesn't change. He, he is with us. And there is a huge difference in, before this injury, um, being a believer and um, feeling like what I know, that, yes, God is here. And then from the injury, knowing, knowing God, he is with us. And I feel like um, he's... God has given me a compassion to share with complete strangers who, um, I just think it's funny because I think if this was anything because of me, like, ha no, not a chance. It's, it's God um, and, and his strength and um, him um, changing me. And so even I was on the phone last week with a representative, um, a customer service representative who made the comment that you are so kind if, if other customers were as kind as, as you. And actually, it, it started this whole conversation where I was telling him, like, well, let me tell you why, um, and, and was able to share what God has taught me. And I think when people have a personal testimony, um, that's powerful. And so there are even a lot of people who um, were impacted by my experience who, well, they have a personal testimony to share as well. And that... Um, you know, it is very important to me in, in this newness to share my faith in Christ because I didn't, I didn't share before, but, but I, I do now. <laughs> I think that um, what you said is so good. I think the truly Christian life is marked by a sequence of I know and now I really know. And now I, I know this, I really know this now. And I think what I'm hearing is you knew all of this stuff. You had faith. It was real. And now you know even more, even to, to move you to want to be baptized again. is just so special. And, and Nikki, I want to say to you, because uh, I, you know, here in California, I, we texted a little bit, but we didn't really talk. But I, we had a lot of interactions. And you gave a clinic on how to be a mom watching your daughter fight for her life, fight to overcome there's a verse in Romans that says, without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the facts. And I feel like that's what you did. You faced the facts without weakening in your faith, and you gave a clinic on how to love, serve, show up, do the hard work, trust God because I can't control it, and yet pray with every fiber of your being. And Nikki, it was absolutely magnificent. And we love you. We love your girls. We love your whole family. So thank you so much. And Brooke, thank you. Thank you. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with this same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. 
Suffering has a way of focusing us on what truly matters most. And a hard time in our life, it can either drive us toward God or away from God, but if we let it, it has a purifying, cleansing, restoring, life-giving effect to it. Verse 2 says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And Brooke, that's what we're seeing in you, is that the rest of your life is going to be lived for the glory of God, and it will, it will impact you and the generations, and that's what we all want. That's what we want to do. We want to live every day of our lives for the glory of God.